0: Thanks, Dale. Good morning, family. I want you to imagine you're all fired. No work tomorrow. You're done. Some are smiling. (laughs) 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 A new lease on life. But I want you to hold that. What happens when you get fired or you're laid off? You start to imagine new possibilities for your life. So with that firmly in mind, you're free to imagine. And I pray the Holy Spirit today, as you sit and listen to his words, you'd hear his voice speaking to you and then putting new kernels of thought into your brain that you've never even thought before. Because he's speaking to you. He brought you here today today. Not so you could sit, not so you can even take notes, as important as both those things are. But that he may challenge and change you. Father, open our hearts in a way that only you can do to the voice of your spirit. I pray today that for those who are open and thirsty, they would hear your spirit challenging them. And all God's people said... Amen. I'd encourage you to whip out your outlines. If you're visiting today, again, it's, I'm really glad that you came. And if you want to just follow along on your outline, that would be absolutely fantastic. We're in part four of Your Life Counts. This is Your Life Counts. Your Life Counts. And I want to just begin with a quick review, because some of you weren't here last week. First slide, if you've got it up there. I want you to read this aloud with us. What is the peace plan? Let's read it aloud. Ordinary people, empowered by God, making a difference wherever they are. Okay, ordinary people. Again, the peace plan is not a plan for super saints, or people with scads of time, or scads of resources. It's People like you and me who are busy, who are sometimes tired, sometimes fatigued, sometimes confused. Empowered by God. God will always give you the strength and the ability and the courage to do His will if you are willing. Third, making a difference together. Remember in this church, remember the phrase, it's better together. God never designed the Christian life to be a solo act. That is false, patently. Third, uh, fourth, wherever they are. That means wherever you are at this time of your life. Now there are three dimensions that we talked about last week quickly to the peace plan. There's personal peace. That's God wants you to influence people in your life for good where you are personal peace. He wants you to use your influence. Secondly, local. Your small group. Think about that. Your small groups of ministry to others in our area, in our backyard, perhaps even in this school where there are hundreds of people who do not know Christ. We're, this is our home territory. And then thirdly, there's a global dimension. Our, our church is part in the global mission and ministry in the world. Now, the goal of the peace plan, remember, was to attack the five greatest problems that we see in the world that we've covered in detail. The first one, and it all stems from this, was spiritual emptiness. And because of spiritual emptiness, people don't know that I'm not an accident. They don't know that they're born for a purpose. They don't know about a savior. They don't know that the sins can be forgiven. So what we want to do there is we want to plant churches, and we touched on that. Second, following from spiritual emptiness, people do whatever the heck's right in their own eyes. So you end up with egocentric leaders. It's all about me. Serve me. Right? I want to use the resources. And we see leaders all around the world in government, in education, even in business, living for themselves. And even, dare I say it, in some places where they shouldn't be. Thirdly, uh, poverty. Just under about a billion people lived on two bucks a day. We're going to focus on that one today. And so our job is to assist the poor. We're going to drill down on that one. Then fourthly, we talked about pandemic diseases. And again, it's a ridiculous situation. Totally ridiculous. When we have a solution that can fix this stuff, and we've had it for hundreds of years in some cases, yet millions of people are dying from preventable diseases. That's just dumb. It shouldn't happen. It's wrong. And half the time is because we have corrupt leaders. And then fifth, illiteracy. Just under a billion people in our world today are functionally illiterate. They can't read and they can't write. And as we said before, it doesn't matter how much Google or Microsoft try and they're doing a good job. Useless if you can't, you know, to, um, to bring the world into a more the, the of more the internet age if you can't read and write. It doesn't help. So, What I want to point out, in spite of all of these problems... The Church of Jesus Christ, in all of his expressions, through the Catholics and the Protestants and the Pentecostals, all those who claim to be Christ, basically about 2.3 billion people, so about a third of the people on the planet, they are the only group that is big enough to take on these problems. And we need to take our part in the solution. So today I want to focus on the third part, on the third area, which is the global giant of poverty. Now... It is very, very easy to miss this problem of poverty, living where we do. Where the average house price is, you know, what, 900 grand, something like that. It's ridiculous today. And it's easy to miss it. But I want to tell you this, God does not miss poverty. Let's read Proverbs 29, verse 7 aloud. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. There are two kinds of people in this world, the righteous and the wicked, the Bible says. Righteous care about the poor. They want to see justice done rather than oppression. It irritates them. It gets them riled up. Something should irritate you. That one right there should. The wicked, on the other hand, they couldn't give a rip. They don't care less. They don't care whether the poor get treated fairly or not. They are completely indifferent. Why? Because it's all about them. Me. Egocentric, narcissistic, hedonists. All through Scripture, though, the poor are mentioned. You may have noticed this. As God's special concern. Today, I'm going to look at three questions... Here they are, very simply relating to poverty. Number one, what are the causes of poverty? You need to understand that. Second, how can I help? And third, why should I care? Those are three questions. What causes poverty? How can I help? And why should I care? First of all, what causes poverty? Take a big breath. That's a very complex question. And there are dozens of reasons, both internal and external. And I've listed a few. The Bible says people can be poor because of one reason, choices. You might want to write that out the side somewhere. And that's they have made, choices they have made. And the second way sometimes is circumstances. And those are things that are out of their control. So obviously the things that I do, dumb decisions I make. And secondly, other dumb decisions that other people make. Now the vast majority of people in the world are poor because of the second reason. That's circumstances that are out of their control. Now, some people are poor simply because, I want to drill down this on, on the first one, their own dumb choices. Things like complacency. That's the first one, first fill-in. Some people are poor because of their complacency. Proverbs 10.4 says this. A lazy person will end up being poor. A lazy person. And that's the old story. We always used to say it in my house. No worky, no eaty. Simple as that. If you're not cooking dinner, you better be doing the vegetables. And if you're not doing the vegetables, you better be washing up or drying up. Or hang on the wash now. You, when, if you're in this boat, you row the boat. No working, no weety. A lazy person will end up being poor. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. This is a big one. People who waste time will always be poor. Your time is your life. Get about it fast. And then thirdly, Actually, here we are. let's move next then. The second. So the first reason why people are poor here is complacent listening. Second one is carelessness. Proverbs 21.5. <laughs> Hasty speculation brings poverty. Anybody want to give a testimony on that one? Do I see your hand? <laughs> okay. One of my friends who I love dearly. Just lost half a million US bucks like that up in smoke. Could he afford to use it? No, not at all. He took it out of his house, spent it on this sure quick-fire get-rich scheme, gone. Heard of Sky City? There's another place too. You want to give a testimony, a get-rich-quick scheme where it went bad? Be careful. Proverbs 17, 18 says this. It's poor judgment, notice this, to countersign another's note. To become responsible for his debts. Be very careful of that one. You do that, the Bible says it's poor judgment. It's not me saying that, it's the Bible says that. The majority of people are, aren't poor because of choice. Because of carelessness or, or, or in this case, yeah, complacency. The other reason, the major reason why people are poor is it's out of their control out of their control but because we're living in such this bubble in East Auckland it's easy to forget that others are eking out a living barely getting by it's easy to forget how difficult life is for most of the third world and Job 12 verse 5 talks about this maybe he's talking to us a person who has an easy life has no appreciation for misfortune. He thinks it's the fate of those who slip up. Karma. What he's basically saying there is that the, the, the guy that lives on Easy Street thinks tough luck. You're bad luck. That's his attitude. The Bible says that. Now four major causes of poverty I want to draw down on. Number one, and this is a biggie. We talk a lot about this in this church and that's calamity. Calamity. That's war. Note northern Sri Lanka. Famines or deluges of rain and floods that wipe out crops. Note the Philippines. Or think about our neighbours across the ditch here. Saw them for their dear lives last week in Launceston and some of the, uh, in Aussie, they were swamped, gone. Major illnesses can be calamities. And the economy collapsing can be a real calamity. When 80% of the people in the neighbourhood are upside down and no money on their mortgages, now that wouldn't work in New Zealand. In America, the walk away here, we'd all be on the hook. So calamity is one major cause of, of poverty. They didn't ask for that. It just happened. Second cause of poverty, and a lot of people forget this one, is culture. Culture. Culture can keep, and does keep, millions of people oppressed in poverty. Think about it. The communist regime, like in North Korea, there's a picture of that pioneer. People getting poorer. It's a ruthless regime. Now, notice there's a peninsula. Light. This is some space, obviously. And then there's a big dark patch. Guess where that is? North Korea. Doesn't look very prosperous, does it? It's like the, I was going to say the Black Hole of Calcutta, but it's not. The Black Hole of North Korea. Where there's no power. Because the the corrupt leadership there are fleecing the people and putting all the money into military stuff. But look, it's it's like the sea. That's land there. North Korea. Where millions and millions of people live. Other cultures... But are are good examples of this. And boy, if you've been to India, you know what I'm talking about here. Religious systems can crush people. Case in point, Hinduism. Hinduism propagates a class system. And you're just lucky if you're a Brahmin class, but if you're a poor Dalit, you can't get any work. It's tough. Hinduism perpetuates poverty by preventing people getting better opportunities. And there are millions of people, through no fault of their own, are held in check by culture. Wrong. Not good. And dictators in many countries trample on the poor. That offends God's heart. Let me tell you, as an ambassador of Christ, that offends God's heart. Now, these situations offer no opportunity for advancement, especially if you a Dalit. Now, this happened also to the Jews in Egypt. Next verse on your outline and on the screen. The Egyptians treated us cruelly. They oppressed us and us do, made us do backbreaking work for them. You think, well, that's pretty tough. Yeah, but how long did they do that for? How many years did they do back? Were they treated cruelly? How many years were they oppressed? How many years were they made to do back breaking work? Anyone has a guess on that? 400 years. Five points to the man down there. 400 years. Not four, not 40, 400. That's a type of culture that's suppressed there. So calamity and culture cause poverty. Here's another one back up here that we talked about. Corruption. Corruption. The world is filled with business leaders and government leaders who are crooked and corrupt and have contempt for the law. They are dishonest. Did I mention Emron? Mm. They take bribes and kickbacks. Next slide, is it there? Okay, sorry, as as you were. I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) They take bribes and kickbacks and they extort money for protection. I hear that coming back all the time from my daughter and son-in-law in Uganda and other places as well around the world. One of my guys was a chief financial controller for a regional company in Indonesia. And he said trying to keep things in the warehouse was an absolute miracle. Things just, they wanted bribes all the way along. So these people, they tyrannize people so they can't get ahead. Proverbs 30 verse 14 says this. There are people who take cruel advantage of who? The poor and the needy. That is the way they make their living. By taking, yeah. Some of you guys know that. They make their living by ripping off the poor. That offends God and it should offend you and I as his children. Classic example in some of your lifetimes will be Saddam Hussein. Proverbs thirteen twenty three, next verse. Even when the land of the poor produces good crops, they get cheated out of what they grow. The NLT, New Living Translation, says injustice sweeps it all away. A friend of mine had a, um, a coffee plantation in an un- unnamed country and he built it up from 20 years of backbreaking hard labor. Long time putting it in, getting the land organized, getting the right mix of crops, and he built a successful business. Good job. One day the government just came in and just confiscated it, he lost everything, and they gave it to one of their crony friends. (coughs) Boy, irritating. All right? Fourth cause of poverty. It's called the cycle of hopelessness. In many places, poverty is generational. Maybe seven, eight, nine, ten generations who've lived in a slum, in a tin hut, with car tires, And dirt floors, and all I've ever known, and their grandmas ever known, and their great grandmas ever known, is destitution, and hardship, and tough living, misery. And as a result, the kids are taught by word and by example, and by story, to never expect a better life, because that's always the way it's always been. They don't hope, they don't dream. Or anticipate anything will ever improve. Why? Because it's always been that way. It's not a matter of character here, it's a matter of circumstance. Now, like Job, their thinking is often summed up in this type of words My life drags by day after hopeless day. Or Psalm 88, verse 4, which says, I am written off as a lost cause. One more statistic. A hopeless case. That's what the poor often feel like. I'm one of billions. That's the way they're going to see themselves. But you might want to write this down somewhere. Please note this. We'll come back to this later on. Poverty is largely a mindset. It says you can't do it. That's what it says. You can't do it. In a sense... It's a sense of hopeless futility that says I'll never be able to break out of this. Now, when millions of people are in poverty, calamity and culture and corruption uh, and cycles of hopelessness are the main things that pin them in. What is God's answer? What is God's answer to poverty? Firstly, I want to say this. We... Are the answer the church, which is supposed to be salt and light in this earth? Essential, the essential answer to poverty is the spread of God's kingdom. You'll notice where God's kingdom comes in. There's something called redemptional lift that happens. This is um, this is well documented around the world. What is the kingdom of God? It's wherever Jesus Christ is king, where God's people are spreading the good news and helping solve these problems. It's what the peace plan is all about. See, interesting, the Bible says this too in Proverbs. Excuse me, Psalm 22. The poor and the afflicted, they shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord, for the kingship and the kingdom are the Lord's, and he is the ruler over the nations." Now, wherever Jesus is the king, problems shrink. Case in point, Rwanda after the genocide. You track what's happened to that company since it's come in and been influenced massively by Christianity and it's gotten right in, not just in the religious sense, but into the government sense, into the government, into the people, into the businesses, and into the community. So, how can I help the poor in a practical way? Four simple suggestions. Number one. I must treat them with dignity. Don't assume that you know why they are poor. You may think, ah, pff, they're just poor because they've got no ambition, no drive. What's wrong with you, man? Don't assume that. First strategy: get to know them. Get to know those people. And a good, a good, a good way to a good. Mm, piece of English or of an English phrase to start a conversation is, tell me your story. That's a great way to start. Very unthreatening. Tell me your story. It makes them feel like they're a person, not a statistic, or just one of the numbers. Another helpful thought there when, you, when you're working with poor people is never criticize them until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And you know what, that, what you'll discover and why that's a good idea? Because once you've walked a mile on their shoes, you'll be be a mile away from them (laughs) before you say anything. And you'll have their shoes or lack of them. No, I'm teasing you. That's not what it means. It means when you listen to the people, you'll be more empathetic and understanding of how they got to the situation. So, you don't assume you're better than them. Do not assume that you're smarter than them or superior to them. Especially that you're not more valuable than them. Because that's not true. The Bible says, notice Proverbs 22.2, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. They are both valuable to him. They are both created in the image of God and your value has nothing at all to do with your valuables. Actually, Jesus got after some of the rich fellows and said, this Poor widow has given more than all this religious lot, because they gave out of their wealth. she gave everything she had. Interesting, eh? The Bible says you don't treat rich people better than you treat poor people as well. So the point is, respect and value everybody equally. Proverbs, excuse me, Romans 12:16 says this. Says this very clearly: Give the same consideration to everyone alike. Pay what? No regard. That's very politically incorrect. Don't get into this paying difference to people. You'll be held captive. The fear of man's a snare. Pay no regard. Ignore it, he's saying, to social standing. But meet humble people on their own terms. In other words, get off your high horse and get down to them at their level. Pay no regard. Don't buy into that. You and I, friends, need some poor people in our lives to stop us becoming snobs. We need them. Now first, you treat people with dignity. Second, this is a biggie. So the first step, treat them with dignity. Second, you offer them opportunity. Galatians 6, verse 10. When we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. So if we've got opportunity to help someone, we should use that opportunity to help them and give them opportunity instead. Here's the point: most of the world could help themselves out of poverty, help themselves out of poverty, if they were given the opportunity to climb out of it. And we have a hard time understanding that here in East Auckland and in New Zealand because we live in a land of opportunity. It's a piece of cake to start a business. Very, very easy. Pretty much anyone can do it in New Zealand. But most of the uh, countries around the world where poverty is endemic, Lack the opportunity, and we've been blessed. Now, the best way to help the poor long-term, long-term, not short-term, is to create opportunities not to give them a bunch of money. Not to give them a bunch of money. Specifically, what types of opportunities? You may want to write this down because this is where it gets real practical. Number one, opportunities for training. They need to learn a job Or a skill. You've heard this, and I know you have. If you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for what? A day. If you teach him to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. Now that's good, but we can do much better than that. You need to teach him to sell a fish. We need to create, help them create businesses that create opportunities, economic opportunities for other people. Now, this is why I say that. If you just teach everybody how to fish, so everybody in the village fishes, they fish for themselves, but what are you going to do? Because everybody's got fish, so you can't sell the blooming things. So you just do enough for the day. There's no need to catch more because there's no place to sell them. It is better to create a diversified economy where you teach people to do different things and create jobs. For example, if it was a Buckley village, some of the Buckleys love to fish. Some of the Buckleys hate filleting fish. We'll catch, you fillet. Actually, we give that to Karen to fill it. She's a master filleter. Now, some of the other Buckleys don't like to fish, they don't like to fill it, but some of the Buckleys like to cook fish burger, burger and fish, fish. That's Miss Mimi. So she'd be the cooking. And other ones like to market the fish, you know, and market the restaurants. And others, like Steve, he likes to do all the numbers and the background and the accounting. So rather than just do, and and somebody else like Nathan, he likes, he'd be providing all the bait and the tackle. Because he likes tools and stuff like that and rods. So the whole idea is, Everybody doesn't do the, just the one job, otherwise, there's no place. You're not creating trade. So, jobs can get people out of poverty long term. Here's a phrase that'll pay What the poor need is trade, not aid. What the poor need is trade, not aid. And that's what we're doing with a peace project in Sri Lanka. I want to just take a few seconds to talk about the Wanini Dairy Project. Now, it's targeted at post-conflict communities in North Sri Lanka, and we want to generate sustainable income. And the whole idea is that we are training small farmholders in reproduction, farm economics, nutrition, safe milk handling. And to do that, we've got 20 master trainers and 180 sub-trainers extension trainers that have trained two and a half far households and benefiting 10,000 rural youth and children. And the government and the church and the business are all working together. It's like a three-legged stool. Let's take a quick look at it. Here, they, here you want some deliverables. I love Deliverables. Remember, I'm a business guy too. Look at this, 160,000 litres has gone from an average of 4,000 litres up to 170,000, call it 166,000 litres. Next slide. Increase in the average monthly contribution to the local economy has gone from two grand to 122 grand. That's progress, guys. Next. The number of farmers who've participated in the programme from a base of eight farmers we've exceeded takers by over 170 41% of these are women yes that's important that's a win next the percentage of increase in production from 34 liters per farmer a month up to 162 liters that is how we do it trade not aid okay Next, uh, the sixth, second opportunity they need, not just opportunities for training, but opportunities for capital. Sometimes you need to borrow a little to get a startup money going. Deuteronomy you know I 15.7 says this. If there are poor people in your towns when you arrive, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them what they need. Now, the way we do this is we set up co-ops, and we pool income to borrow from each other. They may need a little seed, but we try to do it indigenously there. For example, uh, some of my friends have been, they've got what you call coops for Christ. <laughs> I was teasing my son about that because he's got chickens in his, in his place here in Howick. And what they do is they buy a, a rooster and a couple of chickens, and next minute they've got an egg factory. And the deal is, though, they've got to, they've got to give some to the extreme poor. They've got some to, gener- uh, to, to feed themselves and they've got some to, uh, for sustainable businesses going forward and to generate income. That's the whole idea. Others have done it a different way. They've taken a deposit on a bicycle, stuck a seat in the back and called it a taxi. Off they go. But it's a business. It's trade, not aid. Some of you men and women here can add some value to that. Using your expertise. They need opportunities for training, capital, start a out. And the third area, and this is important, is an opportunity for markets. A place to trade and sell and to do business. Here's a good example from Rwanda, which is one of the countries our churches are working in as well. The average income in Rwanda is $2.64 a day. So what? Yet, this is a shocking fact, they are producing four times the amount of food they need to eat. Hold on, What? So three-quarters of it is going to waste. Why is that? Because there's minimal trade. Most people, again, produce the same crops. What are they? Bananas, tomatoes, and pineapples. But everybody's doing that. And then after you've eaten, there's only so many bananas you can eat. In fact, it's not too good for your heart. Be careful. Too much potassium, all right? (laughs) Side note. Uh, the, The point is that everybody's got these bananas, and they're all coming on at the same time. Well, what do you do with them all? Well, some enterprising individuals get in the side of the road and they try and sell them, but banana there and banana there, what's the difference? So there's not really much opportunity for trade because there's no infrastructure to reach the new markets and to get it out of their own local area. And there's a lack of post harvest storage and spoils. Oh, Spoilage is through the roof. So let me say it clearly you don't help people long term with handouts, you need a hand up and classic is the last past 30 years over 500 billion from one country alone has gone into Africa and it's worse off GDP per capita you may want to write down there somewhere to remind yourself subsidies do not work the worst thing for small groups when you and if God calls you and your small group to go on mission there the worst thing you can do there is just start buying things for the poor that's got all sorts of implications envy theft doesn't work like that. It creates dependency and robs dignity. Prosperity is the, is the result of free wealth creation, not forced redistribution, which is exactly what communism was. But you need freedom and you need opportunity to make this work. The peace plan fights against this through job creation, not handouts. And notice, did you notice this? We assist the poor. We do not underwrite the poor. The subtlety in that third way to help defend against the poor is defend them from inequity. Inequity. Remember I said that a lot of people are poor in the world because of corruption. Because they're being taken advantage of. They're being abused and mistreated. The Bible clearly exhorts us in in Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of all those who have nothing. The poor. Defend them. That's our job as ambassadors. And then Psalm 82. Be fair to the poor and the orphans. Defend the helpless and everyone in need. Rescue the weak and the homeless from the powerful hands of heartless people. Now part of the peace plan is to challenge corruption wherever we find it. Some of you feel righteously indignant about some of these things, and as you should, so that the poor are not taken care of. Now, I want to recommend, if this touches your heart, a great book by Gary Hagem called Good News About Injustice. You'll find that. It's from IJM. Gary's from IJM, International Justice Mission, which is a Christian-based ministry led by human rights professionals who help suffering people and in, um, that are suffering injustice and oppression but who cannot rely on local authorities for relief because they are, guess what, corrupt so what they do is they document and monitor conditions of abuse and oppression they educate the church about the and the public about the issues and the press and then they mobilize intervention on behalf of the victims and you can go to their site www.ijm.org and there's many ways that, and that'll show you how you can be involved Is the next slide over okay Right now, as you can see, IJM is helping to protect 21 million people from the abuse and the violence, and most of those are poor. Next slide. These are some of the stories. Second rescue from brick kiln, for use three, this sort of thing, 328 from slavery. They find where things are going on, which they shouldn't be going on. They rescue the people and prosecute the guys. Next slide. I love this. Oh, I love this. Justice is being done in some of those places. They're getting after them with great intentionality. Next slide. Thanks. How can we assist? Back to this one. Share with generosity. I want you to read this. Next verse, as we wrap this up as fast as we can. Let's read it. Share your food with the hungry and bring poor, homeless people into your homes. When you see someone who has no clothes, give him whose? And don't refuse to help. Okay. There's one word that's mentioned four times. What is it? your when you share something with someone in need it's a reminder that everything I have belongs to the Lord now this may sound a bit strange but I want all of you to raise your right hand okay here's my statement to you with your hands raised up I authorize you to help the poor you're authorized (laughs) Circle your four times. You do it. You are the church. Your small group, it is you. Your small group. 1 John 3.17 If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be with him? Now as I was studying that particular scripture this week, oh, I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. This sounds very similar to something that Brother James wrote. And sure enough, it was. Look at this. Strikingly similar. What good is it, my brothers, on this screen? If someone says he has faith but has, does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, ah, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving in the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Ah, That hurt. It's got to have traction. This is the brother of Jesus speaking. It's got to have traction. Question, how clearly are your actions saying that you really love others? Are you as generous as you should be with your time? Or I'm busy. Before you say that word again, just check with the boss. Am I getting distracted, Lord? With silly things that won't really matter. Are you generous with your time? With your possessions? With your money? That you're allowed to manage for a few short years? Bible says this in Proverbs 19:17 If you help the poor when you do that you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you cuz it's his money his possessions his time that he gave you anyway Now it all boils down to one question very famous question are you willing to live simply so that others can simply live on the screen Let us just stop saying we love people. In other words, just talking about it. Let us really love them. Let us show it by our actions. Now these verses we've gone through very quickly show a clear direction on how believers can lay down their lives. This is what it means by laying down your life to help others in need with worldly goods. Now the proceeding helps us answer the one remaining question which will be lightningly quick but very important. Why should I care about what I've just heard about the poor? The Bible gives us dozens of reasons, but I'm going to close with three. One, it honors God. It honors God when we care for people that he created. Those who oppress the poor, the Bible says, insult their maker, God. But those who help the poor, honor God. Why should they care about the poor? It honors God number two. They have much to teach me. God chose the poor in this world to be rich with faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. And to receive the kingdom of God. Promise to those who love him. See, Christianity has much to offer the poor. The common people clamored to follow Jesus. But it demands much. It demands much of the rich. And then thirdly, the third reason is we meet Jesus in the poor. One day, I will see Jesus and you will see Jesus face to face. And that's going to be amazing. But how can you see him now? You look into the face of the poor. Because Jesus said, if they were hungry and you gave them some food. If they were thirsty and you, sh- and you gave them something to drink. If they didn't have clothes and you gave them clothes. And if they were in prison and you visited them. Then he ends it with this. Whatever you did to one of these people who seemed unimportant, you were doing it directly to me at that moment. And Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you pray with me? Father, you have just blessed our lives so much. We know that you expect us to be a blessing to other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. You have allowed us to live in this land of opportunity called New Zealand. So help us to create opportunities for the poor in our world. Help us to treat them always with dignity. To offer them opportunity and to defend them from inequity and injustice. Help us to share with them generously and Lord we know that when we help the poor it honors you and that they teach us we know that we can learn from them it's how we see Jesus in the eyes of the poor so father we pray your spirit would work in our hearts seal this message which is precious to you And help us get traction. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless.